You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. My name is Tyler Holder, and I have the amazing privilege of serving as our pastor of adult and college ministries here at Harvest. Thank you for that. I couldn't do it without you. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a glimpse into just some happenings that have been going on in my home this month. So we're, uh, what, 12 days in, and we have had some huge developments in the Holder house. Now, uh, if you are a parent, then maybe you'll understand what, uh, what magnitude this brings with it. Now, baby girl, she's two years old, and I have a five-year-old son named Jax. Baby girl made the transition this month. She made the transition from the crib to the big girl bed. Now here's what that means. There no applause. Because this, <laughs> what that means is she went from a uh, jail cell where she was confined. She has freedom now. So this happened earlier this month and the first night that we put baby girl in her big girl bed, we put the princess covers down, everything is pink and pretty except the fact that we forgot to buy sheets so she's got Jax's orange sheets on there. She climbs into bed and she looks at us and she said, mommy, daddy, can Daxie sleep with me tonight? Oh, right? Oh, breaks your heart a little bit. So I looked at my five-year-old son and said, Jax, do you, do you want a first night big girl bed? This is so exciting. So do you want to sleep with baby girl? Do you want to go in there and hang out a little bit tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he gets a stack of about 40 books and walks into baby girl's room and puts them down. And when you put both of them in a confined space and tell them to be quiet and go to sleep, then of course they obey immediately and nothing bad happens. So we had some friends over and we were playing some card games and a little while after baby Baby girl and Jax go into the bedroom. You hear this, and you look up, and here she comes in all her glory, just sprinting down the hallway. Mommy, Daddy, yep, baby girl, what's what's going on? Daxy wants some water. So my son's five, and he is a full-blown sinner, and he knows that he doesn't get any water at night. So he sent his sister on a mission. He rolled over and said, baby girl, go get me some water. And like a dutiful little sibling, she runs down the hall and she makes her way around the card table, looking at every cup, every cup. There's nothing in that one, nothing. And then finally she gets to the last cup and you would have thought she found the holy grail. She holds it up. It's got about this much water in it. And at this point as a parent, don't judge, but I had two decisions, right? One of two decisions to make. I could say, baby girl, don't do that. You know, you shouldn't be out of your bed, go back to your bed, or the decision that I made, she is so stinking cute, and I want to see what she does. I want to see where her little mind goes. So she takes that cup of water and just looks up at us and then runs down the hallway like a prisoner escaping Alcatraz. Daxie, Daxie, I found you some water. Man, now we can awe. (laughs) Baby girl taught me a huge lesson on that night. One, uh, she is full blown in her disobedience. Um, that's, I already knew that. The other thing that she taught me was is that she is persistent. She is the most persistent little girl I have ever seen. She has the eyes that she'll bat at you. She has the words to say, but she was on a mission. 
And she wasn't gonna stop until she found water for her big brother. And this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 18, we're gonna look at the parable of the persistent widow. And here's what we'll see, that you and I are called to the same persistence, the same tenacity in prayer as my two-year-old daughter had to find her brother some water. For the past month, we've been in this Simply Pray series, and I have been challenged over the past month. Last week, Pastor Micah shared about simply praying in humility, and he made a statement that stuck out to me. If your prayers are more focused on you and are more focused on I, then you may have a prayer problem, and that hit me right between the eyes. Two weeks ago, Pastor Trent shared about simply praying God's word and how God loves to hear his word proclaimed back to him and how we can open the Bible and we can pray simply God's word back to him. It's a relief to me that I don't have to come up with my own concocted prayers. It's a relief to me that I don't have to use fancy words, that I don't have to be well-educated, that I don't have to do anything except simply pray his word. And the very first week, Pastor Trent walked through what simple prayer is. It's not complex. It's not an enigma. It's not a puzzle for you to solve. That's not what prayer is. And this morning, we're continuing in our Simply Pray series, and we're going to look at one big idea, and that is this, that you and I, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. I hope you found your way to Luke chapter 18. Let me read the first eight verses for us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In order for us to understand where we're going this morning, we need to really, right before we even get into our very first point, we need to look at two different things to set the stage for you and I to fully grasp what God's asking of us. It's found in verse one. Jesus is telling a parable to them. Now, a parable is different than almost any other teaching that we see Jesus do in the New Testament. It's not a sermon as in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just him walking and talking and teaching with his disciples. A parable is something very specific. What a parable does is a parable takes two things and puts them in comparison and contrast against each other. It's a simple story used figuratively to teach truth. So Jesus is coming into this section in Luke and we find in Luke chapter 18 verse one that he's telling them a parable. It's important for us to remember that and you'll see why here in a moment. The second thing that we really need to grasp before we even get into our sermon today is this. What Jesus says at the end of 
verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Did you know that it's possible to have lost heart in your prayer life? Did you know that this morning, throughout all of our services, both campuses, there have been people that have walked through our doors that have no hope in prayer. That they have been praying for years that God would rescue their marriage. That they have been praying and pleading on behalf of their children that they would come back to the Lord. That they have been begging God to hear their cries, to answer their prayers, and they look up to the heavens and at times they shake their fists this morning, hear me. What we'll see in this parable will put wind in the sails of prayer for you. You ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to feel downcast and like you're speaking to an empty void. But please hear me. Please hear me. Christ is compelling us and calling us to be persistent in prayer. With that, let me pray for us and we'll get into our sermon. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are a beautiful, loving God who has given us your word so that we can simply pray to you. And Father, this morning as we look at persistent prayer, Father, I pray that we would view it and see it as an opportunity for us to pursue you wholeheartedly. Father, for those that have lost hope, that have lost heart in prayer, Lord, I pray that you would mend their broken hearts. I pray that you would give them hope again, that their prayers are not in vain, that they're not unheard, but Lord, that you hear so, Father, instruct us and teach us according to your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we'll look at three components of how you and I can simply pray persistently. How we can simply pray persistently. The first aspect or component is this. My persistent prayer is relentless. Look at Luke 18, verse 2 through the beginning of verse 3. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. So Jesus is beginning this parable. And remember, a parable is what? It's a comparison and a contrast of two things for the purpose of illustrating a truth. And we're introduced to those two things here in chapter 18, verse 2. The judge who represents a ruler who represents somebody that can dispense justice, somebody that can really legislate on the law and we're seen in that judge that he doesn't do two things. He doesn't respect man, nor does he respect God. So there's this judge who has power and might to dispense justice and rule on the law. Contrasted to him is a widow. Some of you today may be widows. Some of you may know the feeling of losing somebody that you love after years and years and years of marriage. Imagine what your life would be if you lived in the first century where a widow 
was held of no regard in society. She had no legal standing. She couldn't approach the judge even if she wanted to. She was downcast and downtrodden. She was poor, needy, and helpless. She was forgotten oftentimes by society if family wasn't around. So Jesus sets the stage and he tells us there's this judge who doesn't fear God, nor does he fear man. And there's a widow who has a persistent need that she brings before the judge expecting justice. Look what verse two says. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. Jesus uses an amazing word here when we read kept coming to him. It's the Greek word orcheto, and what it means is there's an action that has begun with no end in sight. In other words, the widow has begun to come and bring her case to the judge, and she ain't stopping. She's going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Yesterday, I saw this type of action play out. Yesterday, it's amazing when the Lord gives you sermon illustrations, by the way, 12 hours before you speak. I don't bank on it, but I really appreciate it. Yesterday, we're raking leaves in the morning, and we get to our last house, and I'm with this caravan of people. There's a handful of us, and we get to this last house, and we pull up, park in the driveway, and this big, burly, black dog comes running out. Just, he's friendly, but we didn't know there was somebody in a minivan that was petrified of dogs. Have you ever been around somebody that's scared of dogs? What do they do when they see a dog? Freak out is what they do. All right, if you want to just YouTube it. So we pull in and this dog comes running out. And we finally get the dog wrangled out, but the people in the van were a little jostled, a little, a little on edge. We get out of the van, lock the door. We rake all the leaves, get ready to leave. And we find out that we may have left the keys in that van. We got a little jostle. Well, it happens that there was a guy with us who has a little bit of MacGyver blood in him. <laughs> and like all men, we think there's a problem. I can solve it, right? Yo, here's a problem. Me solve it. Never mind. <laughs> so there's a problem. He solves it. So we get a crowbar and we get a hanger and this guy goes to town. I wish you could have seen his face. He was driven to unlock that door. In the midst of doing that, a police officer drives by Two doors down, parks, it's their neighbor. Hey, do you, do you want us, I'm sure he could help. No, no, man, I got it. I got it, I'm gonna get it. About 15, 20 minutes later, he's still going to town on it. Finally, he pops it. Here's what I knew. I knew that he wasn't gonna give up. He was either gonna break the window and pay for it to get replaced, <laughs> get arrested, or unlock that car with that hanger. That same persistence is what we see here with the persistent widow. She kept coming and coming and coming, day and night, coming and coming and coming. She couldn't stop. She had a need, she had a cause, she had a request, and it had to be answered by that judge regardless of what people thought, regardless of what they said. And this week, as I've thought about Luke 18 and as I've read this parable time and time again, the question that has plagued me is this. When it comes to my own prayer life, how relentless am I? How relentless am I? Do I have tenacity and persistence like this widow does? Like this man did trying to get the keys out of that car? 
Do I have the same drive, the same passion, the same desire in my prayer life? Let me ask you, when was the last time that your prayer could have been characterized by a continual coming to the Lord? He desires it. And what we'll see in the parable of the persistent widow is that it's required of us. We must be relentless in our pursuit of God in prayer. Two extremes usually happen at this point when we say something like that. One extreme is over here, and the extreme says, I have prayed, and I have persisted, and God hasn't answered me, so I'll leave it to his sovereignty, and I will no longer pursue God in prayer for this. That's one extreme where we chalk up and we make an excuse that God's sovereign, God knows all, God can do all, and he will, so therefore I will stop praying and move on with my life. If I'm honest, that's usually what I would do. The other extreme is over here. This extreme says, I don't care to pray for it. I don't want to see any result. It hurts, it's painful, but you know what? That's just what life is. And I won't even bring it to the Lord. That's where so many of us reside. And that's why we become discouraged, downtrodden, and lost hope in prayer. Both are wrong. What God is calling us to is he's calling us to persistent, passionate, relentless prayer. He desires the same type of prayer that the widow has in persisting after the judge. Something that has begun and has no end in sight. The second component we see in persistent prayer is this. My persistent prayer has a specific goal. Look at the second part of verse three. The widow is coming, remember, to the judge over and over and over again, and this is what she says. Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. We get a glimpse into the goal of the widow's pursuit. Notice, it's simply this, justice. Justice. Now caveat, I'm a 1990s kid. So I grew up with a different type of understanding of what justice is. I grew up on a show, it wasn't Walker, Texas Ranger, although, that gives you a really good picture of Texas justice. I grew up on a show that gave me a perspective of justice, and I'm gonna see if you can catch on to this theme song. Bad boys, bad boys. <laughs> what? That was so ugly. You sound way better when you sing worship songs. I grew up watching cops, so my idea of justice is this, that a, a police officer at any time can open field tackle me and win and hog tie me and immediately book me, Dano. That's my idea of justice. So when I read in Luke chapter 18 that the widow's plea is for justice, that's immediately my thought process. That's not really what scripture means though. When we read justice in Luke 18, here is the definition. When it says the widow asked that the judge would give me justice against my adversary, what she's asking for is that the judge would uphold the innocent, 
and punish the guilty. Or that the judge would punish according to what's due or what is just on another's behalf. Based off that definition, all of us have an innate desire, an innate sense of justice. We know when we've been wronged. We know when we've witnessed somebody that's been wronged. As the youngest of three boys, I continually cried out to my parents to give me justice, whether it was needed or not. We know what justice is. How then can we pray prayers focused on God granting justice? When we look at prayers that focus on God granting justice, those persistent prayers that are focused on God's justice, they focus more on God rescuing the redeemed, the repressed, the oppressed, and the trafficked. Persistent prayers that are focused on God's justice pray and ask that God would be glorified in the redemption of the downcast, in the redemption of the trodden, in the redemption of the widow, in the redemption of the orphan, and check this, the redemption of their persecutors. When we pray specific, persistent prayers that are focused on God's justice, what we're praying and what we're asking for is that God's justice would elevate the seriousness of sin and the consequences of sin, knowing that God will ultimately dispense justice. But far be it from us to ask God to dispense justice on someone else's sin when we have not taken account of our own. If we are to pray persistently, pursuing God relentlessly in prayer, we must start by asking God to reveal in our own hearts and our own lives the gravity and the weight of our own sin. We're asking God to dispense and give us a taste of his justice in our own lives as children of God so that we might sense the gravity of sin and flee from it. We're not asking God to torment us. We're not asking God to throw a weight on us we can't bear. We're asking God to give us a sense of the seriousness of our sin so that you and I can run from it and run to Christ. That's where our prayers for justice begin. And then out of those prayers flow prayers for the oppressed, prayers for the trafficked, prayers for the perpetrators that do that, prayers for the women and children who are affected by sin all around us. Notice what she says. She doesn't just say, give me justice. What does she say? Give me justice against my adversary. Persistent prayer that pursues God's justice acknowledges that there's an adversary fighting against us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 makes an awesome statement. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's writing, he's defending his apostleship. He comes to this point in the letter and he says this, our weapons are not of the flesh, but are of the spirit to destroy strongholds. Why do we battle and fight with weapons that are of the spirit? Well, because our adversary isn't of the flesh. Did you know that your adversary is not your wife? Did you know that? And your adversary is not your husband. Nor is your adversary your children or your parents. It's not your teachers. It's not your boss. It's not the person that cuts you off in traffic. There is a far greater adversary at work. 
And our prayer and our focus is that God would grant us justice against our adversary, knowing that at the end of the day, the battle has been won. And at the end of the day, victory is given to Christ. And because of that, we persistently pursue prayer. Relentless in our pursuits with the specific goal that God would be glorified, that his justice would be made known, that his kingdom would be at hand. She says, give me justice against my adversary. Notice what the unjust, unrighteous judge says. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The phrase beat me down is an awesome phrase in scripture. If you're, if you're a Bible underliner, you need to underline that phrase. Here's why. It literally means to give somebody a black eye. How many of y'all been hit in the face by a thing or a fist? Okay. You know how much that hurts. Everybody knows. The kid that walks into school with a black eye, the first thing out of somebody's mouth is what? Who hits you? Why did you get that? Here in the context of Luke chapter 18, the widow didn't punch the judge because that'd just be stupid. What happens here in Luke 18, that phrase, beat him down, can mean either give somebody a physical black eye or tarnish their character to the point where the society around them starts to look down on them. Here's the point. The widow kept coming. She kept pursuing. She was out of options, downcast in society, forgotten, had nothing but her pursuit. And she went after that judge hard and fast. Now at this point, it's important for us to make a note of one thing. Remember, a parable is what? Two things side by side compared and contrasted so that we can see a truth. And at this point, if the parable ended, here's the temptation. The parable of the persistent widow, if it ended after verse five, the temptation would be this. God is just like the judge. I am just like the widow. Therefore, I need to pursue God and pray whatever I want over and over and over and over and over again and eventually he'll answer. Now, if that was true, we'd all won the Powerball last night. That's not what this parable is about. On the other side of it, the parable is about an unjust judge who does, doesn't have any compassion, any connection, any desire to serve this widow, and how much more, as we'll see in a moment, will a just, beautiful, righteous God care for his children when they ask, when they plead. We are the widow. We are those that have no options left. We are the ones that are downtrodden and cast aside, and we make our requests known to a just, loving, and righteous God who wants to dispense his justice in our lives, in our communities, in our church. That's what we pursue. So don't get this parable wrong. You don't change God's mind when you ask and ask and ask and ask and ask like a child does when they ask you for candy. That's not what the parable of the persistent widow is about. It's about how we need to be relentless in our pursuit of prayer, how we need to have a specific goal focused on God's justice. And finally, it's about my persistent prayer being offered to a righteous judge. Look at verse six of Luke 18. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
Anywhere in scripture, when you read the word here, that's one of those signifying words that you need to pep up. You need to sit, you need to shake yourself from that sleep you just fell into and listen to what is being said in the Bible. Jesus is about to explain to us the point of this parable. Namely, that God, who always does right and is filled with compassion for believers, his children who suffer, he will certainly respond to his beloved ones who cry for help. If the unjust judge, again, who has no regard for people, cares enough to give justice to the widow, how much more will God give justice to you if we persistently pursue God in prayer? That's why we've lost hope. It's because our definition of not delaying and our definition of speed are contrary to God's. Look at what it says in verse six and seven. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? There's an interesting word there in verse seven that we should all take note of. It is the word elect. One of the questions that you should be asking is who are God's elect? It's a good question. Who are God's elect? Well, scripture tells us there right after. Notice his elect are those that cry to him day and night. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever cried out to God in repentance of your sin, placing your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation? Because here's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid that we have become so enamored with God answering our prayers that we have forgotten the most important prayer of all and that's of responding in faith, placing our trust, faith in his atoning work on the cross, recognizing that you and I are both sinners, that we have no hope of salvation, no hope of eternal life apart from Christ. And we've skipped that step and we come to God and we pursue God in prayer and we get frustrated and we don't know why he's not answering when I'm asking God to help me with my family and I'm asking God to help me with my job when I'm asking him to help me, help me, help me. The reason why could it be is that we're not his children yet? Have we become so culturally enamored that we've forgotten the first most important prayer, that of repentance and faith in Christ alone? So if you're here this morning and you've lost hope in prayer, have you ever cried out to God for salvation? Have you ever placed yourself aside, recognizing that God is holy, you are a sinner, Christ is our redeemer, and he calls us to repent and believe? Any other prayer we offer before that? That's the most important prayer of all. Others of us have struggled with the idea of delaying and speed. How many of you like things immediately? How many of you get frustrated when you go to Meyer and they only have the self-serve lines open, 40 people deep, all of them have red lights on? Nobody? Am I just, I get frustrated at that, right? That's why I love Walmart pickup. You just text it in, boom, done. Free plug for Walmart like they need it. <laughs> we get frustrated sometimes because our definition of speed and delaying does not, does not align with God's. When I pray, I want it immediately. It would be phenomenal if I could pray for my children and they would immediately become believers. God, 
Reveal yourself to them. Draw their hearts to you. May they become believers. Amen. Jax, what do you think? Done. Great. That would be phenomenal if that happened. That's not the case, though. Notice that our purpose, our goal, our view of prayer isn't on the answer. Our responsibility is not to have an answer. Our responsibility is to be persistent in prayer. It's God's responsibility to provide the answer. And when we get downtrodden, when we get cast off, when we lose perspective, be reminded that God views time a little differently than you do. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we read this. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. How many of y'all been praying a thousand years yet? I haven't. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. In the dark seasons of your prayer life, hear me. God's not gone. He's not frustrated. He's not an angry dad who's turned his back on you because of what you've done. That's not who God is. Our God is a faithful, just, loving God who is not slow. And he desires to fulfill his promises towards you. But understand that his time frame is different than yours. And our responsibility is to be persistent in prayer, not to provide the answer. So when I'm hurting and when I'm angry and when I'm frustrated that I've been praying for years that my family would be redeemed, that my relationships with my own brothers would be reconciled, do I lose heart in that? No, why? Because I believe that God will fulfill his promises. And at the end of the day, my prayer is more centered around, God, your kingdom come, your will be done than my own kingdom, my own desires, and my own thoughts. So this morning, I hope that we will have seen a few things about persistence in prayer. I hope that you'll have seen that your persistence in prayer doesn't change God's mind. Again, you didn't win the Powerball last night. I hope that you'll see that our persistence in prayer, the reason why we persist in prayer is so that God would be glorified and his kingdom would be established. Look at the end of verse eight. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We pray persistently and passionately with a specific goal to a righteous judge because we know at the end of time, our just judge, our savior is coming back. That's the end for us. That's the goal. That's God dispensing his justice ultimately on the earth. So this morning, if you have been taking notes, praise Jesus for you. But if you will do me a favor and flip that over. Here's my goal. Here's my desire for us this morning. Is that we won't, won't just sit and listen and hear that we should be persistent in prayer because we should be relentless and we have a specific goal and we bring our prayers persistently to a righteous judge. All of that is great, all of that is scriptural. But here's my goal. My goal is that you'll be challenged with this one question. I need to be in persistent prayer for. 
and there's three blanks. Can I tell you what I put down? Not to lift myself up at all, to ask you to keep me in check with these. I need to be in persistent, I need to be persistent in prayer for God to reveal and redeem my family, my children, my brothers, my sister-in-laws. I need to be in persistent prayer for that. I don't need to give up. I need to be in persistent prayer that God would reveal and give me a hatred for my sin. I feel the weight of it. Not because I like feeling discomfort, because I wanna run from it. I wanna see sin as God sees sin. And the last thing I wrote down is this, is that God would, would help me to be persistent in prayer for persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. God is much bigger than Michiana. And right now, there are men and women at threat for their lives gathering to worship Jesus. How can I be praying for them more than that? How can I be praying for their persecutors that they would see the glory of the Lord and be redeemed for God's glory and his renown? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a few moments as Nick and Renee play. And I'm gonna ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, look up here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, if you know Christ as Savior, honestly evaluate what do you need to be persistent in prayer for? And write it down. If you're here this morning and you have no idea what redemption even looks like because you know how sinful you are, hear me say it one more time. God gave his only son for you. God is holy and we are all sinners. But the difference between a believer in Jesus and one that's not is simply this, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Have I placed my faith and trust and that have I repented of my sins and turned towards Christ? This morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, let me urge you, let me plead with you. That's the one prayer before any other prayers that you would turn your life to Christ in repentance and faith. Spend some time.